Bible has been the backbone of the faith of Christians right down through the ages. I want to take you through some of those who saw the Bible as supreme. And then I want to talk about Jesus Christ himself and then for you and me. So let's have a look. The first group was the Waldenses. These people who lived, they were the people of the valley, sometimes called Voidoi. And they lived, they were called the Israel of the Alps. These people, they had a number of things in common. Their origin goes right back to the time of the apostles. And beyond that, their language was unique to the people there. But they believed that this book was their guide. This book was their strict authority. And they, in fact, gave a French translation of the Bible for the people of Europe who could read French. Some of them are traced back to Peter Voldo, but they go back long time before that. Let me tell you about Voltaire. You've heard of the great French atheist. Voltaire, he even wrote this. Those who were afterward named Albigenses, Vaudoy, Lollards, and who appeared so often under different names were remnants of the first Gaulish Christians. So they are seen as going right back to the Christians. If you go to these Waldenses, you will see their sign, not their motto, the motto is above, above them, but the candle with the seven stars, lux lucid in tenebris. Do you know what that means? Light shining in darkness. And the light came from this book, which they revered so much. If you go and visit the place of the Waldenses, then you'll see... This is one of their colleges called the College of the Barbs. Their young men would come here and write out the scripture, hide it in their clothes and travel all around Europe with the Bible and these precious messages that they believed in so much. Okay, let's move on to another one. John Wycliffe. That Englishman, he's been called the one who really translated the Bible first into English. He was born in Yorkshire. He studied at Oxford. In fact, he was one that he, a popes issued five anathemas against him. He was called to Rome and never went. Always sick or something happened. He was never imprisoned, 
and he translated the Bible into English. Here you have the monument to him in the little town of Lutterworth in England. And on that is this plaque that says he was the one who translated firstly the Bible into the English language. He's called the morning star of the Reformation and the Bible was central to the whole message. Let me show you a little bit more about him. Here you have the church where he was the pastor. It's St. Mary's Church in Lutterworth and he was buried in this graveyard in this cemetery around the church but he wasn't left there I'll tell you about that in a second inside they even have a chair and they say this was the chair that Wycliffe sat on and that was back 700 and something years ago do you have a chair that's 700 years old no well this guy he was one this is what he believed in in the scripture and he sent his preachers the lollards all over europe all over england in particular preaching from the bible now from him let's go on to one who lived over in bohemia john huss born in husenek after huss husenek he went to school and when he was a young man, his mother takes him to Prague. And as they look over the mountain, down at the city, he's going to the university, those big bad places. And she prays, God of heaven, take my son and care for him here. Look after him. And this window on this building you will still see in Prague is part of the Charles University where John Huss went and studied. After graduation, he preached in the Bethlehem Chapel. It was different because he spoke in the language of the people, not in Latin. And guess what he said about the Bible? Have a look at this. Not everything I have read is of the same weight to me as the gospel. For only to the Holy Scriptures will I maintain such reverent obedience. Will you have obedience to God's word? That's where John Huss was. Nothing else. This was first and foremost. And he's summoned to the Council of Constance, which started to meet in 1414. Here is the council house where the council met. And Huss was given a safe conduct pass to go and to uh, answer the questions of heresy. And so... If you go to Constance today, here is a plaque that tells you of the of the council that met in Constance. And then in this place, when he gets there, it's the Dominican convent. He's arrested as soon as he gets there, despite a safe conduct. And he's not put in a very comfortable place. But if you go in this door and down below, the lake is almost at ground level. He would have been below ground. It would have been cold and damp and he got very, very sick. 
In fact, they moved him, they had to move him, or they couldn't have put him on trial. They moved him down the Rhine River to this castle, Gottlieben, just out of the town. And then they took him to the church and they arraigned him in this cathedral in Constance. Picture of him there answering. He said, please show me by the scriptures my errors. They said, you're obstinate. That's the answer he got. Show me my errors from the scripture. The scripture was paramount. But no, he's condemned to death and he's taken out to the altar graben, two martyrs here. One the next year is this side and that's Jerome. And on the other side is John Huss, Johann Huss, burnt at the stake in 1415. Today, if you go to Prague, the people of the Czech nation revere him and in 1915 erected this monument to him right in the town hall square in the centre of Prague. John Huss, the scriptures are first. Answer me from the scriptures if you would. You're obstinate. Let's go to another one. William Tyndale, back to England. He's called the father of the English Bible. He wanted to come to London and translate it. It wasn't the first Bible, but he said it needs a translation now. And so what he said about the church of that day, he said, I defy the Pope and all his laws. If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plough to know more of scriptures than thou dost. Now that's something. Everyone, even the plough boy, will know this book as the book by which you live. That's where Tyndale was. And so he fled, he flees to Germany. He finally finishes up, he prints some books and finds that they sends them back to England and they're all confiscated. They're bought, but the money lets him build and print some more. And so he prints more and again. But then he has to flee for his life and he gets into Belgium. And there he gets met by an English spy by the name of Henry Phillips. He comes and pretends to be friends with him. And then one day he says, hey, come out to lunch with me. Now that's a good thing. Friends do that. Oh, he said, oh, by the way, I've left my wallet back. Can you loan me two pounds? So he loans this friend of his two pounds. And as they go outside, the soldiers are waiting and grab him and put him in jail in the castle at Vilvord for the next 16 months. Then he's strangled and burnt at Vilvord. You have here the picture of him, William Tyndale, and the castle where he was imprisoned, the monument that's erected there. You know, just before he dies, he says, Lord... 
Open the king of England's eyes. Seventy years later, King James says, I want this book printed and sent to every church right throughout England, and we call it the King James Bible. It's been through many translations, and certainly William Tyndale's prayer, his dying request was noted and it came to pass. Let's see another great man, Martin Luther. Sorry, let me go to this one. Our Bible today, 90% of it has come from Tyndale's translation and later revisions, 75%. So we owe a great debt to this man who translated this book at the cost of his life. Ancient words, ever true, and that's still true today. Let's have a look at Martin Luther, this great man who was the monk in Germany, and in those days the Reformation had a number of catch cries, sola scriptura, sola Christus, only in Christ, sola fide, only by faith, only by faith, only by grace, only by Christ and only, only by this word. That's where Martin Luther stood. You know, Martin Luther had a good insight. This is what he said about the devil. The devil's a greater rascal than you think he is. His definite desire is to get you tired of this word or to leave it on the shelf or to have one but never use it. Luther gets excommunicated, has a few meetings, and finally, in 1521, four years after he put his uh, theses on the castle door, he goes to Worms. There's a few things in Worms we need to note. On his way to Worms, this is what he said, I want to speak the truth. Nothing but the truth. I must speak the truth even if 20 heads will roll. And the truth, of course, came from this book. That's where he was. Well, he stays in a motel, if you like. It was an inn. Here is a sign that tells you that Luther stayed here. He couldn't stay in the monastery. He's excommunicated. But more than that, this guy's suffering from dysentery. He's ten days in Worms. As he's summoned to the, the place where the, all the lords of the land and the emperor is there, the soldiers from Spain who are supporting the emperor say, to the fire, to the fire, as he walks in. Let me tell you the place where you can find him. This is the great cathedral in Worms. And next to it is a park today, but it was the place where the bishop had his great house. And it was in that house that Luther faced his adversaries. He was alone. The church, the government, the emperor, everyone's against him. And here he stands alone. Now, you know his famous words. Here they are 
if I cannot be proved wrong by words from scriptures or from by some other clear reason, for I do not believe in the Pope or in the councils alone, since they have been shown often to err and to contradict themselves, then I am bound by those passages from Scripture which I myself have quoted. As long as my conscience is bound by the Word of God, I cannot and I will not recant. I cannot. And we have those words that have been added, I believe, since. Here I stand. And you go to the park and there a pair of shoes as someone is standing on the very place where Luther stood. Here I stand. Will you say with him, here I stand. I cannot do otherwise. My conscience is bound by the word of God. Well, there's some illustrious people of the past who have stood for God. But let me go to Jesus Christ himself. These temptations of Jesus, I believe there are three distinct times when Jesus is standing as a man responding to the devil. You know he was the God-man. But here at the first temptation, and it's in Matthew chapter 4 that where you find it, Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting, how long? Forty days and forty nights, he was starving. He was hungry. He was emaciated. Man, he could hardly stand up. And the devil comes to him. And he comes as a shining angel there from glory. And he comes down to him and says, I am the very angel that God sent to Abraham. And when he lifted the knife to slay Isaac, I held his hand and said, no. And God has sent me to tell you too, you've suffered enough. You're so weak. Just make these Stones around you here, bread, satisfy your hunger, your extreme hunger. And you have the answer. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the answer. The greatest miracle is this one. Let me share with you a comment that I read in a book, Selected Messages. That's from Jesus answering. Let's go on. In every temptation, the weapon of his warfare was the word of God. Satan demanded of Christ a miracle as a sign of his divinity. But that which is greater than all miracles, a firm reliance upon a thus saith the Lord. What's the answer? The greatest miracle is if you can take this book. I don't care if you're starving, if you're thirsty, if you're out of money, if you're sick, if you're dying. The greatest miracle is a reliance on thus saith 
the Lord. Jesus shows us what is most important for us. I want to go on. What about us today, now and in the near future? A verse that you know so well. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders. And there's going to be miracles right in front of your eyes. Let me tell you, you will not be able to believe your senses. This is the only thing that will determine what is true and what is not true. That's what's coming. Then I read this. False Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles, deceive even the very elect if that's possible. Those who know Jesus Christ, who say, I love him, I'm a Christian, they will be deceived unless there is surety in this book. Then that well-known sentence that you know so well, none, none means how many? No one, none but those who have fortified their mind with the truths of the Bible, will stand through the last great conflict. No one. Fortify your mind. What does fortify mean? To strengthen. To If you're in the military and you fortify something, you put all the defences around it. And unless you have put all the defences around it with this book, you won't stand. What if the devil came and he's even got nail prints in his hands and he heals someone in Westmead Hospital of cancer? I don't care what kind. And the person's up and going, would you be healed by the devil? Or would you rather trust God? Where would your faith be? when a majestic being comes like he came to Jesus and says, here, I've come to, you've done enough. You've shown enough that you're willing to go. Right today, we're coming to the place where the Bible is not going to be understood or accepted as the authority. I've got so many things here, I don't know if I can go through them all. But let me try with one of them. The life of Christ that gives life to the world is in his word. It was by his word that he healed the diseases. By his word he stilled the sea. He spoke the word of God. And lately, last, the whole Bible is a manifestation of Christ and the Saviour desired to fix the faith of his followers on the word. The word must be their source of power. This is the challenge for you and for me. You know, just recently I received a message by email. Someone sent it on to me and this is what it said to me. 
Pope Francis said to his followers, the Koran and the Bible are the same. Jesus Christ, Muhammad, Jehovah, Allah, these are all names to describe an entity that is distinctly the same across the world. And it goes on. We can accomplish miraculous things in a world by merging our faiths, and the time for such a movement is now. Now. Just recently I heard Julian Archer at our camp meeting and he told her how he was invited to a special meeting, a special meeting. People who want to unite all faiths, only those who were very rich Christians were invited, just a handful. And he said, two years' time, 2017 will be 500 years since Martin Luther when he took his stand on the Bible. And he asked the question, have you got something planned? Oh, yes, they said. We have. The Pope is going to have a special gathering in St. Peter's Square and say this is the end of Protestantism. The protest is finished. We are all together. And if you don't come along, he said, then you'll be seen as obstinate. You'll be seen as a person who is a bigot and you are stuck in your ways and you'll have to be seen that way. The challenge is now. The challenge is the word of God. The greatest miracle, greater than any healing, greater than any escape, greater than any finding money or anything else. The greatest miracle is this book that tells me about Jesus, his love to me, and I want to live by this. You and I must put this book and this book first. Is it gathering dust? There is a verse I want to leave you with. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119. Hide the word. Read the word. I commend to you this word because this is the greatest miracle when it touches your life. It will transform it and bring you close to the life of Jesus Christ. God bless you.